0: One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Welcome back to Finish the Fight a Gaming podcast, where well, we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today we are Yee Hawn and Wild West in it, out there with good old John Marston himself. I would make some cool gunshot noises right now if I knew how to do that, but pew 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 pew. Editor like, put them in. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Derek, put them in. <laughs> Yeah, so I love this game. I'm so excited. This was an episode picked by our patrons, and Mm -hmm. thank you, patrons, because Red Dead Redemption was up against some tough competition in Skyrim and Call of Duty, and I know that it was pretty close between the two, and Red Dead just narrowly made it through, but this is another top fiver for me. So I've got to do Skyward Sword, and now I get to do Red Dead Redemption, that's a great uh great month and a half right there. That's what I'm talking about and especially coming from Rockstar who we've always known forever for the Grand Theft Auto series and coming off its predecessor Red Dead Revolver which was an okay reception to it and then finally when we get like an actual story driven game, uh you know, this this final frontier game, you know, this this wild west game that we've seen in the movies for years and years and years. And we do finally get that feel, that aesthetic of it in a real gameplay. And so glad they decided to follow up on that series. Because if you go back and play Red Dead Revolver, I know that it has its fans. And there are some gameplay elements that are still very similar in Red Dead Redemption. They tried Mm -hmm. to keep that stuff and carry it over as much as they could. You know, spiritual successor. But in reality, Red Dead Redemption just took that whole concept and I think blew Red Dead Revolver out of the water. I mean, this is basically the Dark Knight to Batman Begins. It's, it's basically allowing people to come into this kind of fully fleshed out idea with it, with an amazing story, amazing cast going along to it, and especially one that ties in so well to Red Dead 2, which was a prequel to this, and it's so cool to see how the second game really adds into and personifies so much more with the first and i had to look at this very differently just doing research for this because there's so much information that gets filled in for red dead one from red dead two i love red dead two a lot as well i think people should play it probably more people that are younger have played red dead two without maybe playing red dead one in my opinion red dead one is the better game but I know that maybe some people aren't going to feel that way because it's not quite as updated and it's suffered a little bit in time. But anyway, you ready to get started? Start it off, Derek. So Red Dead Redemption is an action-adventure western played from a third-person perspective. The player controls John Marston, a former outlaw who's on a mission to hunt down his former gang. As Marston, the player completes various missions with strict objectives to progress through a linear story. The game features a vast open world where the player may complete side missions or participate in challenges. The game also features a multiplayer mode where players may engage in free roam, cooperative, and head-to-head missions. The game was designed as a spiritual successor to Red Dead Revolver and released on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 on May 18th, 2010. So yeah, coming up, you know, just past that 11th anniversary with it, but this is one of those games That was so cool for the time. And again, was that Grand Theft Auto but horses? You know, allowed you to have such an expansive map that evolved and opened up as you did more missions and explored more of the areas, allowed you to hunt, allowed you so many other cool things, and really shape such a beautiful story around this lost soul, you know, around this outlaw who's like, I just want this redemption. I just want my family. That's what I want. That's why I'm doing this type of thing. And it's so well done and such a cool story that we're going to break down and just talk more about how this really came to be and we'll start off by talking a bit more about rockstar we all know it we all love it let's dive in just a little bit there rockstar games is an american video game publisher based in new york city and is a subsidiary of take two interactive it was established in december of 1998 by sam hauser dan hauser terry donovan and jamie king and has over 2,000 employees as of 2018, and various offices in London, on the West Coast, East Coast, various other countries, a lot going there. The company was founded using assets Take-Two had acquired from BMG Interactive, of which the Hauser brothers were executives. In exchange for common stock, Take-Two acquired former BMG Interactive IPs in March of 1998, including Grand Theft Auto, and the founding members of Rockstar moved to New York City to work for Take-Two. Unlike many new publishers in the video game industry, Rockstar was able to find success within their first few years, of course with the backing of Take-Two. By 2001, they would release the smash hit GTA 3, which would become the highest-selling video game of that year and would reach 2 million copies sold by 2002. They continued to garner legitimacy and have started some of the most well-known games and franchises in the world, including Grand Theft Auto, Max Payne, Manhunt, Midnight Club, Bully, and Red Dead. They've hit sales records on numerous releases, with GTA 5 being the second most ever behind Minecraft, and also just the longest game in the world ever, because we're never gonna see <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 6. Yeah, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 5 definitely has some legs going for it, or at least uh, Rockstar definitely feels that way, but just mm-hmm. insane. I mean, we know Rockstar games and just to see kind of the evolution of that studio. When they made GTA 3, obviously a very cool game. I had a lot yep. of fun playing that. I shouldn't have been playing it. I was way too young <laughs> to be playing it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But then, you know, they followed it up. They had uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. They had Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. And you could mm-hmm. see them continue to grow. By the time that they get to Grand Theft Auto 4, which is really where the... Gameplay elements, I think, compare the most to Red Dead Redemption. You really start to see them take on a better story development type of role, a more interactive player experience. They want people to care about the characters. It's no longer just point, gun, shoot, steal car. Mm -hmm. And it's been cool to see them kind of take that route with games like Bully, la noir red dead grand theft auto absolutely because gta 4 and la noir were kind of the tipping point of next gen in that era that's where it jumped up it changed those story elements and brought us into gta 5 which definitely rivals red dead as one of the most interesting and engaging stories especially allowing three different protagonists to be able to switch between and such a cool story of bringing them together Development for Red Dead Redemption began in 2005 and lasted for four years. It was considered a spiritual successor, as we said, to Red Dead Revolver. It faced many delays due to technical issues and was controversial due to many public complaints by members of the development team and their spouses regarding the mandatory workload forced upon them. A team of over 800 members was used for development and has been suggested by media analysts that the game cost somewhere between $80 and $100 million and 100000000 dollars making it one of the most expensive video games to create of all time. So, I mean, you know, we're used to talking about some of these smaller studios, 13 people, ooh, 30 people. No, baby, we're almost at 1,000 on this one. It's insane. I mean, if those numbers, if, if you try to go back, we said 2,000 in 2018, and let's assume that that company grew. So they were probably mm-hmm. using half or more than half of the company on this game alone. Absolutely. The team immediately set out and started researching Western films, as well as stereotypical American frontier locations and art. While they found that most Westerns likely had a setting from the mid to late 1800s, they didn't feel it was an era in which they could develop an interesting story. So instead, the team decided to set the game in 1911, where the Wild West would be coming to an end and their characters would have to come to terms with the impending industrialization of America. Additionally, Vice President for Creativity, Dan Hauser, stated that they wanted the player to be able to sense the realism of the game and feel an emotional connection to it. However, despite the desire for realism, the team decided to stray away from certain elements of the period that would have produced what they considered unnecessary content, such as common racial issues from the era. In discussing what type of game Red Dead Redemption could be, they felt using Grand Theft Auto 4 as a basis would be best. But there was a fear that the map they created, while accurate to American Frontier imagery, may have been overall boring to players if there wasn't enough to interact with. However, GTA missions take place in dense cities and have a variety of mission-specific objectives, and they felt the open nature of Red Dead Redemption wouldn't allow for this formula to work. So if you think back to, like, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas... There's a mission in that where you are in like a helicopter or a drone or something Mm -hmm. very specific to that mission where you have to hunt down other little helicopter drones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. I think that they were thinking of including more one-off missions like that in Red Dead Redemption, but because they were kind of limited with the technology and... With the openness of the world, they felt like it really couldn't be done in the way that they would have in Grand Theft Auto. No, we see a little bit more of that in Red Dead 2. Let's say specifically that mission at one of the lakes where they're testing out those battleships. Yes. And it's like you kind of drive that battleship around and shoot the other little sailboats that are there because that's even further into the industrialization, I guess prior, but they're basically adding a bit more of those elements into Red Dead 2 as that industrialization is coming, like as like the tipping point of it, Whereas in Red Dead 1, we're on that cusp of getting closer to like, you know, roaring 20s and getting that that idea rolling with it. And there's definitely less. You're exactly right. There's definitely less of a city element in Red Dead 1. The big city is sort of Blackwater, you know. And then from that point on, you end up in the mountains. So there are other areas and there are some areas that you get to explore in Red Dead 1. That aren't in Red Dead 2, very controversially. Mexico is what I'm talking about here, but Mm -hmm. it's always more open and definitely, I think, would have been hard to fit some of those mechanical things in. Absolutely. So, another issue the team encountered while striving for realism was horse movement, and this took many years to overcome. The team found it difficult to recreate the skeletal and muscular structures of real-life horses within the game. In order to capture true horse movement, they used motion capture on a horse. Even this presented issues as the rider could not properly communicate with the team without accidentally signaling the horse to perform maneuvers they were not trying to record. So, trying to like go back and forth with the voicing of it and what they're doing with it. And the horse is like, Oh, you want to do a jump? Sweet. Yeah, he would apparently try and buck the rider off as he was making these motions. Yeah, so they were trying. Because they wanted movement from horseback riding to player movement and weapon usage to feel as natural as possible and felt they were eventually able to achieve this even with more challenging weapons like the last. So, I mean, again, that was their biggest thing they really needed was horses were okay in games up to this point. Like There was definitely realistic bits to it, but not as dense and deep as we are now in Red Dead. And getting that like, actual feel and gait and movement and turns with that, huge. And I think about games like Elder Scrolls that had horses mm-hmm. in it. Also, Assassin's Creed had a horse in it that you could yep. use. And those they always did just feel a little bit strange. Like They weren't quite turning the same way a real horse does, where a horse would kind of move its head left and right and kind of curve with the road or where the player was turning. And those horses, for the most part, very blocky. Yes. It almost felt like they were like cut out and pasted in. Like when you're riding in Skyrim, it's just like, no matter really how fast you're going, whether you're scaling a 90 degree cliff or whether you're like going towards Whiterun, like the horse always had that same gait and really didn't change. And it wasn't an afterthought. It's just the tech at the time was that's really hard to master when you're basically running two characters to try and stay within that gate of it. We also had a team of professional voice actors who were hired onto what was initially known as, quote, untitled video game project. Rockstar felt they had found success with their current voice acting formula dating all the way back to GTA San Andreas. Most of the performances were recorded using motion capture, with other pieces added later in a studio. And as time went on, characters were naturally developed to fit the game. Dan Hauser stated, quote, the stories are there to serve the game, so they're there Especially with the mocap, the voice acting, all that's wrapped around these gameplay elements to fit that story and make the narrative pretty much numero uno with everything else adding to it. And I know that they knew the main core of characters. They knew who was going to be John and they knew who were going to be the gang members at this point. Mm -hmm. But they didn't necessarily know how other characters were going to fit into the storyline without just kind of getting into the game a little bit more. So I think that was a good idea. I find that quote by Dan Houser really interesting. The stories are there to serve the game because I almost feel like the reason that I prefer Red Dead 1 to Red Dead 2 is that that concept got flipped for Red Dead 2 yep. where the game was there to serve the story. And so mm-hmm. there was a little bit less of that freedom element that I feel like is what made Red Dead 1 so much fun to me. But I don't know. What are your, what's your opinion on that? Between them, Red Dead 1, you can definitely see the GTA influences, whereas Red Dead 2 broke away from that and became a cinematic piece. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But I think a lot of players, if you had just jumped off Red Dead 1 to go to 2, especially having the slow moments, the build, they're beautiful. Don't get me wrong. The cinematic pieces of it are amazing. Slowing you down to play the game is amazing. But I think that's a little jarring when you're coming from... Like I said, more of a game that has a story with it. And then now you're at a story that has a game behind it. And so Red Dead Redemption utilizes Rockstar's proprietary Rage, or Rockstar Advanced Game Engine, which the company had been using dating back to one of Rockstar's best games to date, (laughs) which is Rockstar Games Presents Table Tennis. I still have this. Oh, oh, do I know? And that was released in 2006. They were excited about the technical capabilities of the Xbox 360 and the PS3 consoles, and felt that they could finally do justice to a Wild West setting, something they considered to be limited by old consoles. And along with this, you know, they had Bullet and a couple other techs they used, especially adding in like the bullet time, or basically that tracing where you can kind of like fire all your shots, and a lot of other advanced engine bits they added with this that they felt that they could really flex the muscles of these new consoles and really push those really to their limits, honestly. And they're still using this proprietary rage concept. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is what they used for the Red Dead 2 game. They're still making little updates. I think they use it for GTA 5 as well. So it's something that has a lot of legs behind it. And it's a great system. I mean, I feel like everything that they want to capture from a realism standpoint feels real. It doesn't feel like a video game a lot of times. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So as we said before, there was a little bit of controversy during development of this game, in January 2010, a blog post was published online from a user going by Rockstar Spouse, where it was claimed that working conditions at Rockstar had become unreasonable and included consistent 12-hour workdays, six-day work weeks, and below standard wages. Other anonymous users claimed that Rockstar employees from around the globe had all been pulled off their projects just to focus on Red Dead Redemption. Rockstar initially denied these claims, stating that anonymous users online shouldn't be believed. However, Red Dead Redemption 2 was the subject of similar complaints, and Rockstar's head of publishing made a statement that, quote, the Rockstar spouse represented a problematic time for the company's work practices, and emphasized that they had changed workflows to prevent these situations in the future. So, a little bit of some revisionist history there, and and Mm -hmm. Red Dead 2 came out much much later as we know so for that to still happen you you know that there probably was a problem for them to acknowledge it at least i think is good and especially with modern games and people being well versed in kind of what goes into game development today rather than you know in the mid late 2000s this was a pretty big deal crunch has always really been a thing and was very very present in the 360 ps3 era leading into the one and ps4 era but i think it's being addressed a lot more within working conditions even just being safe at work that we're seeing today you know a lot of things that are really adding up that before it was kind of just very much its own wild west you know it wasn't really tracked it was kind of like well it's art you know you got to work as much as you can at it you got to work you know to meet this deadline and it definitely wasn't a rock star specific issue at the time i mean even going back to I think it was around the Halo 2 era, you know, that was a big issue for Bungie, a symptom of the system. In addition to the developer controversy with the people who, you know, were working, grinding it out every day at Rockstar, 2016 Leslie Benzies, a video game producer best known for her work in the Grand Theft Auto series, released emails sent to him by Rockstar's president, Sam Hauser, where it was revealed that he felt Red Dead was a total disaster and that he required Benzie's help for demonstrations to Sony and Microsoft. Benzie's alleged that he was able to fix most of the issues within a few months of coming on board, which wasn't even until late 2009, per the email dates. So you had all these people working on this game, and they were still concerned almost four years into this that it was an issue. Especially trying to present it and be like, hey, Microsoft and PlayStation and Sony and all you guys, here comes this game. It's going to be honestly the biggest hit of the year. Hopefully, (laughs) you know, trying to get those on board of like how to pitch it and sell it. And despite its challenges, Red Dead Redemption was officially released for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 on May 18th, 2010. So they did get there eventually, despite all the, the hardships and the time that it took. I mean, a four year development time doesn't seem all that crazy, but there was obviously a lot of manpower being put into this thing. And this was the era of that was a long development time. I mean, right now we're seeing 10 years, 15 years for some games that are coming out that will just like maybe eventually hit store shelves. But around that time, that was pretty long, for, especially for a triple A. And again, as tech gets built more and more, as games get longer, as people demand more from gaming, there's a lot more that goes into it. Let's talk about the marketing. What did Red Dead do to be the Red Dead that we see today in the people's eyes? <laughs> That's the best way to describe marketing. A trailer for Red Dead Redemption was shown at a Sony conference in 2005 with the intention of showcasing the improvements to Rage, the, you know, the engine that we're using, as well as to promote the release of the PlayStation 3. It was simply revealed as, quote, Old West Project. So now it's not just Untitled Video Game Project, it is Old West Project. So we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. And it was a sequel to Red Dead Revolver. It quickly circled the internet and just had everyone in a buzz. However, Rockstar did not officially announce Red Dead Redemption until 2009. So this is early, early on when this project was really first started. The PlayStation 3 was just announcing, like, guess what, guys? If you buy the PS3, there's going to be some cool stuff with it. And that's kind of what this conference was. And I think that it shows you that people did like Red Dead Revolver and had enough of a following for them to justify trying to bring it back to life in some capacity. But I absolutely agree that, you know, without the Rage, without PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360's capabilities, probably would have been a huge dud of a game, unfortunately. Yeah. So let's bring it back to that 2009, where we had a debut trailer released on May 6th, showcasing the game's setting. In December of that year, another trailer was released, this time with more details such as scenes from the game, as well as an introduction to the protagonist, John Marston. Rockstar slowly released more footage from the game over a period of weeks, with various elements slowly revealed. For example, one video would focus on weaponry, while another would focus on specific characters in the game. The game was exhibited at PAX 2010 just a few days after official cover art was released for the game in March of 2010. Rockstar would continue to release themed videos and would engage in viral marketing campaigns, frequently redesigning the game's website. They also engage with retailers to include pre-order bonuses and showcase the potential benefits of the in-game content. Murals were created across various cities featuring characters from the game, and NASCAR driver Joey Logano featured the art on his vehicle on two separate occasions. There we go, baby. When you make NASCAR, you make the world. A machinima film aired on the Fox network titled Red Dead Redemption, The Man from Blackwater, which focuses on most of the events of the first act of the game with small changes. To promote even further, Rockstar developed a game for Facebook titled Red Dead Redemption Gunslingers, where friends could duel on the platform, although this game is no longer available. You remember some of those old Facebook games, right, Alex? I don't know that I played this one, but they were rough to say the least they were like a weird turn-based one sometimes sometimes it was just like a clicky thing and like it was was the early days of like ios feel as well of like those just random games that it was just like look you can touch the screen now i would get facebook back i think if they brought back red bull roshanbo though Oh, oh yeah oh man i totally forgot about that one yeah Facebook, bring back your garbage games and I'll get back on your platform (laughs) because I haven't been there in a while. So let's talk about the gameplay aspect of it. A lot of you have played Red Dead, but let's dive into the nuances of it. And if you haven't, well, here you go. The player controls protagonist John Marston from a third person perspective in an open world map where the player is able to participate in missions to advance the story as well as side quests, challenges and random events. Random events can include hangings for crimes, cries for help from townsfolk, ambushes by gangs, and attacks by wild animals. In addition to random events, players can participate in side activities such as dueling, bounty hunting, herb collecting, and even gambling, playing games like liar's dice and poker. An honor system plays a major role in how the player is perceived by townsfolk and is impacted by real decisions made by the player. For instance, if you rob or hurt innocent people, your honor will fall. Conversely, it will rise if you stop thieves or complete bounties or you just go, howdy, madam. That's, I assume, where they missed their mark because that would be honor way up if I've ever seen a Western in my life. All you got to do is say howdy in Red Dead 2 and uh, you say it to enough people and yeah, you'll be good. Listen, life lesson right there, folks. Say hello to some people. Top, top honors. <laughs> to prevent a bounty, Players must either bribe or kill witnesses before they're able to arrive at a nearby sheriff station. So your bounty you receive is kind of like GTA stars in a way. So your bounty goes up the more evil doings you do, the more people come after you, but you either pay them off, kill the witnesses, or anything else that happens in that point of it. And that's kind of where they try to like convert that star system over. And it, it works. It works for like a Wild West town. You got a bounty put up, you know, John Marston. He's not saying howdy enough. You know, 500 gold. (laughs) That's what we need to give him. 500 gold. That's steep. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's it's the entire safe. I didn't misspeak. (laughs) No, no, no. It's the entire safe of all gold in America for not saying howdy. The economy in Red Dead Redemption revolves entirely around people saying howdy. That's actually what Red Dead Revolver was. It revolves around howdy, and they (laughs) adapted that into the redemption of the howdy. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. The hashtag true walkthrough. (laughs) If you're unsuccessful in dealing with that bounty, you'll be pursued by officers and must escape the area. However, your bounty will remain and must be paid off at a telegraph station. If a bounty rises high enough, the player will be pursued by the U.S. Marshals or the Mexican Army, depending on the location, obviously. Bounty hunters will continue to come after the player until you've actually settled that bounty. So, again, you're kind of star rating low bounty, you'll have some bounty hunters come on occasion, but the higher it goes, three stars, a lot more bounty hunters, four stars, marshals, military gun involved, five stars, you're done. Right. And so you get enough bounty there. It does get hard to survive. I'm glad that they introduced this mechanic the way that they did in this one so that you couldn't just run around and go nuts on everyone with no consequences. It is a little bit silly and unbelievable because... It's going to be way harder to track someone down in the Wild West, you know, like there are plenty of, of guys who like you think like a Jesse James, basically that guy eluded police in real life for years and years and years and only fell because they convinced one of his gang members to shoot him and then they mm-hmm. arrested that guy really similar yeah. to this game. And then that's it. And then to wrap it up, you know, you have your star systems as well. There's kind of this fame and infamy of people recognizing you. So when you do want to commit a crime or do things like that, you can actually put a bandana over your face and that'll help deal with that system, especially if you're, if you're stealing. I know in like Red Dead 2, you use it a lot. Like when you're trying to break people out of jail and and do those things, kind of keep it hidden and that will help with it. However, if you do stick around long enough, they will start to like recognize you even with the bandana. Yep. So gunfighting is the core gameplay mechanic of Red Dead Redemption, obviously, and can be used in a variety of ways. Players can take cover and can blind fire or aim and fire. And I know that that sounds really intuitive, but it was kind of new with the the locking cover systems. Mm -hmm. They had introduced this in GTA 4, I believe, and so it was definitely a great change of pace. From the days of being in San Andreas or GTA 3 or Vice City where you you can duck down, but it's so much harder to actually use that cover system. Well, and really the only mainstay game that had been using it really successfully up to that point was Gears of War. And theirs was like a very crunchy, like, bam, slam, you know, I guess those walls when you were on that cover, whereas this was more of that like scuttle to get cover, like realistic cover, I guess you'd say. Right. So you can do that, or you could fire from the hip, or you can aim and fire from outside of cover. Players can aim for specific body parts, and they do that for lethal or non-lethal shots, which is really important when participating in bounties due to some of the bounties, you know, requiring the the bounty to be returned alive. So that was one of the coolest things to me is you shoot a guy in the leg, and now he's, you know, limping away, or he can't get away, and you hog time, and Bring him back. Mm -hmm. I felt like that did not work as well in Red Dead 2, but it was a little bit different. Weapons vary from revolvers and pistols to rifles, repeaters, and shotguns. Additionally, the player has knives and a lasso. A core feature within gunfighting is the ability to use Deadeye, in which time temporarily slows down and allows the player to mark various points on their target before choosing to fire. Allowing multiple shots or kills in quick succession as the story progresses, so does the deadeye mechanic and Deadeye, I think was one of the coolest things to really use in that game. I mean, you could mess with your opponent and just go with six crotch shots, or you could actually like go like if you're on horseback, like turn around and go headshot, 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 and, like take down those marshals or or in a mission, take down whoever you're trying to deal with, and they did a good job balancing it too because. You can't just go into that whenever you want. There is a a limited amount of time that you can do that. And so you really do need to pick your moments. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So let's hop into the story. It's 1911 and the Wild West is dying. John Marston, a former outlaw who ran in the notorious Vanderlyn gang, a.k.a. Dutch's Boys, has been tracked down and forced into finding his former gang by two Bureau of Investigation agents, Edgar Ross and Archer Fordham who have kidnapped his wife and son as collateral. John travels west for his first target, Bill Williamson, now the leader of his own gang, which frequently causes problems for the people of New Austin, an area considered to be one of the last wild territories. He arrives at Williamson's hideout alone and attempts to talk Bill into turning himself in. Bill, recognizing that John is heavily outgunned, rebuffs him, and John, seeing no other options, draws his pistol, but is shot by one of Williamson's men who assumes him dead. So yes, this is the start of it. And you're like, oh, okay, we're getting into like the thick of it. It's kind of like that weird intro of like, oh, okay. And then they, you know, I got something to deal with here. So Bonnie McFarlane, a local rancher, rides by and finds John near the road and rescues him. After recovery, John repays her by completing several jobs around her farm which also serves as tutorial missions, how to move, horses, you know, all those type of things, Deal with varmint. And so while spending time at the ranch, he also begins to venture out into nearby areas and helps various strangers in exchange for helping him carry out an assault on Fort Mercer. These associates include the U.S. Marshal Lay Johnson, who John helps with various local crime-related issues. Nigel West Dickens, who John helps peddle Miracle Tonics, treasure hunter and grave robber Seth Briers, who John helps track down his former partner in order to find a map, and an alcoholic arms dealer known as Irish, who John saves from a couple of attackers. Before they're able to attack the fort, Williamson learns that John has been staying at the McFarlane ranch and kidnaps Bonnie while setting the barn on fire. He is able to save her from being hanged and with his new allies, seeks to finally assault Fort Mercer and kill all of Williamson's men. So they come up with a Trojan horse-style attack to enter the fort using Nigel West Dickens' cart as a traveling merchant distraction. John is given the signal to attack and surprises the gang by opening the cart with a Gatling gun acquired by Irish. He's able to kill most of the gang and is helped by the others to pick off the remaining members, but soon discovers that Williamson has fled to Mexico to meet up with Javier Escuela, another former member of Dutch's gang. Irish then guides John across the border into Mexico. After arriving in Mexico, John discovers there's a local civil war between Colonel Augustin Allende, a dictator, and Abraham Reyes, a local leader of the rebellion. John, having no goals other than tracking down his former gang members, decides to help on both sides of the conflict in exchange for information of their whereabouts. Meanwhile, in the local town, John meets a legendary Wild West gunslinger named Landon Ricketts, who has seemingly retired to a quiet life in Mexico. He and John form a friendship, and Ricketts gives John a new, more powerful revolver and teaches him to be a better duelist and user of Deadeye. After the conflict between the rebels and government grows, Allende turns on John and tries to have him killed. John is able to survive and now, with a motivation other than finding his bounties, vows to help the rebels win the war. While helping the rebels take over a fort, John is able to track down Javier Escuela, who reveals that Williamson is under Allende's protection. The player is then given the option to kill or capture Escuela, and regardless of the decision, hands him over to the Bureau agents. Reyes eventually leads an assault on Allende's palace, where John joins the rebels and is able to find both Allende and Williamson. The player is again given the choice on whether or not to kill these men, but if they decide to let them live, Reyes kills them anyway. Reyes is now left to rule uh, Nuevo Paraíso and continues to lead his revolution to Mexico's capital, although it is implied that Reyes has already let some of the power go to his head, similar to Allende. So basically saying, you know, power corrupts, whether, no matter what side you're on, he's like on a mad path now. John returns to the United States and heads to Blackwater, the location of the Bureau headquarters. It's there that the Bureau agents inform John he isn't quite finished and must help in tracking down. Dutch Vanderlyn, his former gang's leader, Dutch, long inactive from his former criminal activities, has recently started a new gang with Native Americans, with whom he shares similar ideologies, such as a disinterest in organized government. With the help of Professor Harold McDougal, a disgraced Yale professor and cocaine addict, as well as his Native American guide Nostus, John is able to locate Dutch's stronghold in the mountains. Dutch soon attempts to rob a nearby bank but is interrupted by John and the Bureau agents. Dutch takes a hostage and has a brief conversation with John where he tries to get under John's skin just enough to distract him for a chance to escape. But John is unfazed and Dutch kills the hostage and flees. Soon after, John joins the government during its assault on Dutch's hideout. John's able to corner Dutch on the edge of a cliff where he gives one final speech and warns John that they no longer belong to the world the government desires. John gives Dutch the option of coming with him or being shot, but Dutch slowly backs off the cliff, committing suicide. Ross honors his agreement and allows John to be reunited with his family. And this is actually where we first hear some of the Dutch's lines that I have a plan. You know, that, that mantra that he says over and over in Red Dead 2, like, I always have a plan. I've got a plan. There's a plan. You know, he's the plan guy. You know, it's been memed over and over, but this is <laughs> where we first hear it. So it gives that inkling, especially if you go back now after playing Red Dead 2, go back to one and see how he is and see like the frail Dutch of one compared to like this boisterous young Dutch in the the, the second game. And one thing that I find particularly interesting about the bank robbery scene is you know Dutch kills a girl, and that's mm-hmm. a big part of the story in Red Dead Redemption 2, where Dutch has kind of gone unhinged and he's willing to. Kill hostages, and that's something yes. that Arthur Morgan starts to really struggle with, and you see here that he's still willing to do that. He has not changed no, he's actually possibly even gone further compared to where he is in, in two, especially like you said as as you're in that and you're going through it with Arthur Morgan and seeing him slowly become hinge, like no dude we're just robbers, like we're just outlaws we're not criminals we're not like murderers, even though you murder a lot of people. But- <laughs> Not in those senses, and so to see that early on is very interesting. Returning to his ranch, John reunites with his wife Abigail, son Jack, and former gang member Uncle. Things are mostly quiet at the ranch, with John trying to make up for the time spent away from his family. One day, Ross surprises John at the ranch with the army and opens fire. John and Uncle try to fight them off, but they're outgunned. Uncle is killed. John and his family take cover in their barn where John decides the only thing he can do is face the men alone so that Abigail and Jack have enough time to escape. John exits the barn and enters Deadeye, where many army members are killed. But regardless of that number, your tally, John is too outmanned and is killed in a violent fashion. The game resumes in 1914, just three years later, where a now older Jack buries Abigail after she dies of illness. Jack leaves the ranch behind with a motivation to hunt down and exact revenge on Edgar Ross. After visiting Ross's home, he speaks with his wife, who tells Jack he's out fishing. Jack is able to track him down, where he explains to Ross who he is and why he's come. Ross, unrepentant, challenges Jack to a duel, and Jack avenges his father's death. So, a very interesting end. To the story. I mean, you know, that the ending to this is very similar, in my opinion, to the ending of kind of Breaking Bad. You know, this kind of ending to it all that goes around, not the redemption side of it that Jack gets, but this kind of like just atoning for it, even though John Marston didn't really have that. It was a whole or like little like big end finish, I guess I would say. And this theme carries over into Red Dead 2 so much where it's Mm -hmm. it's like, just give this life up. You don't need to be in this life. You know, John eventually does just have to pay for the things that he did and, and the things he chose to do, not only in this game but also in Red Dead Two. And I remember this scene and just kind of being in in awe. Like I thought the game was going to end there because this is this is the protagonist, right? Exactly. I, I haven't played many games where the protagonist dies and then the game goes on, and I was like, oh no, I can't believe this happened. I was literally in shock. Yes. And Jack, growing up, and you getting to continue to play as Jack, I think is a really cool concept. But I also know that people don't like Jack as much as John Marston. Sure. He was kind of annoying while he's riding his horse. Uh, He wasn't really a great kid, you know, you played the game through as John, and then he doesn't want anything to do with John. So it was cool to be Jack and go and avenge John Marston. Like, that felt really good. But Jack as a character, I guess, really didn't have the potential that John Marston did. And so I know that people, and myself included, were a little bit upset having to resume from that point if they had to finish some stuff up. Oh yeah, exactly. No, I I do agree with that. And I think there was also a little of that worry before any Red Dead 2 details were coming out. We just knew the game was coming. That this would be like a Jack storyline, like a continuation of the game as it goes through. I think going back to a prequel was awesome. But I, I think it's cool and I think it's just, you know, even a story of, you know, violence begets violence. Revenge begets revenge no matter what they're going for, it's always that cyclical, violent thing that'll always happen, especially like the Wild West, you know, mentality and stereotype of it. Exactly. So there was a lot of DLC for this game. Mm -hmm. The very first DLC for this game was Outlaws to the End, and it was released June 22nd, 2010. And it added six new cooperative side missions, new achievements and trophies, and newer player challenges. This content was available for free on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. So I thought that that was interesting. I didn't necessarily remember that. Now, that being said, Outlaws to the end was heavily, heavily glitched. When this came out, there was a laundry list of glitches. I didn't think we needed to talk about every single one of them. But you would enter multiplayer games and immediately just die. Or you would walk in a certain spot and you would fall through the ground and into nothing. And so it was a very heavily flawed DLC when it got released, but it was free. Yeah, I mean, it's something that adds to it. But again, if it adds more problems than positives, it's tough. That's true. The second DLC was Legends and Killers, released August 10th, 2010. It had nine new multiplayer maps, eight new playable characters, 10 new achievements and trophies, and a new weapon. The Tomahawk. So this is really where you get the beef added to it. You're getting that beef in your sandwich added to Just like so much more to the game. (laughs) The third was Liars and Cheats, released September 21st, 2010. It had multiplayer poker and Liars Dice. It had Grand Prix, which was a horse racing game. It added the Explosive Rifle, seven new gang hideouts, four new hunting grounds, a stronghold mode, a new multiplayer mode where teams take turns attacking and defending posse scoring and leaderboards 15 new multiplayer characters and of course new achievements and trophies so again you already have that beefy burger Ooh, let's go for a triple stack now you know it just adds so much more and more and we see a little bit of that in today's age but this was just adding just because they released the multiplayer and i remember playing it it was interesting it was a fun time but they needed more and more and more to add to it. And they did it. And what's interesting about this DLC is that because of a restriction on how many free items could be listed for a particular game on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network, the free roam items included in this DLC, such as posse scoring and challenges, were included in this pack. But they weren't intended to be originally. And they sold this pack for nine ninety nine. I didn't realize that Xbox Live and PlayStation Network had put those restrictions on games. At the time, that's interesting because I, I think of how many games get patched with new updates now for free. So, mm-hmm. next up, we had Myths and Mavericks released September 13th, 2011. Eight new characters, 10 maps were added to multiplayer modes, and four existing maps were added to existing gameplay modes that were previously couldn't use them. No other DLC was required to play the Myths and Mavericks DLC, it was really actually released for free. So, it was kind of this whole, again, standalone. A little, little over a year later, having all this in there for it. So you remember Landon Ricketts, you know our, our Wild wild West legend, was included as a playable character in this DLC. However, the voice actor, Ross Hagen, had since passed away of prostate cancer. Rockstar Games chose to use pre-recorded dialogue for this character rather than hiring a new voice actor out of respect for Hagen, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Good, good move on their part. Mm-hmm. And finally, not so finally... We have The Undead Nightmare, which was released October 26, 2010, which was a standalone expansion pack for Red Dead Redemption. It adds an alternate version of the main story, where a zombie apocalypse breaks out following John's return to the ranch. He is forced to venture out to find a cure for his family, as they have become infected, added some multiplayer modes, and it received pretty good reviews. And so on that topic, that's a little baby snippet, we're actually going to be covering this mode. In a bonus episode for our patrons, which is going to be breaking down the entire Undead Nightmare of it, which is a whole new story, a whole new game, basically, that was added in, into this. So we'll be doing that over on our Patreon, you know, as a whole episode on its own. So in addition to that, there was some pre-order content, as we mentioned earlier, in Rockstar's marketing. They actually created a poll in participation with GameStop in North America and the UK in which customers could vote for a pre-order bonus outfit that would grant the player certain abilities within the game. These outfits were the Savvy Merchant outfit, which would have halved ammunition and weapon costs but doubled prices when sold, the Expert Hunter outfit, which would have doubled the provisions granted to the player upon the skinning of an animal, and the Deadly Assassin outfit, which was ultimately the Chosen outfit, and it allowed the player to regenerate Deadeye twice as quickly. Now, despite the pole's existence being in the US and UK, the Deadly Assassin outfit was still made available to various retailers across the globe in addition to other bonuses, which include the War Horse, a large black horse with a blonde mane and tail. This horse was faster and stronger than any other horse in the game, and the player could recall this horse at any time if it was killed. There were golden guns which were a Repeater Carbine and Cattleman Revolver that would be granted to the player and would give them increased notoriety with each kill, speeding up the fame mechanic. There was also a physical set of cards that resembled the playing cards used within the game, and if you ordered it from the Rockstar Warehouse, you would get a t-shirt. Oh, you know you know, we love some t-shirts out here. Now, good on them on April 13th, 2011, the Warhorse. Deadly Assassin Outfit and Golden Guns were made available for purchase through Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. So if you missed out on those pre-orders, you were still able to get them later. Which is nice. I mean, it kind of pays to be like, hey, if you pre-order it, you get it. If you don't, or you bought this game later, there's still an option. You got to pay for it, but there is still the option later. Well, and I like that they spaced it out too, because it did almost reward the players for a a pre-order bonus. Sometimes they do that stuff a little too quickly. And who knows? Maybe they were available for purchase only because they had hit their free DLC quota. <laughs> They're like, ooh, can't do it anymore. <laughs> no, but it's, it's definitely good to see. Now, let's go back again to our marketing. We talked about the film, Red Dead Redemption, The Man from Blackwater, which was a 29-minute short film that premiered on Fox TV on May 29th, 2010. It was directed by John Hillicote and was created entirely within the game's engine. It consists mostly of cutscenes within the game, with some from alternate angles or with different dialogues, as well as normal gameplay footage of John Marston traveling by horse and staying in various areas within the game, with most of these shots focusing on the variety and natural qualities of Red Dead's open world, so a New Age machinima style, kind of like Red versus Blue in a way, but this is mostly cutscenes, changes in the camera in the cutscenes, and then some cinematics from, you know, John kind of going around. The plot focuses on the events surrounding Bill Williamson and Red Dead Redemption. However, many of the film's sequences do not align with the game. And instead of the scene where John is shot and left for dead by Williamson, the film opens with John finding Nigel West Dickens in the desert near Armadillo, where he helps bring Mr. West Dickens to a doctor. It's here where John receives information from the local sheriff and stakes out Fort Mercer, the hideout for Bill Williamson's gang. And this scene uh, does not appear in the game, but was in kind of some pre-script stuff and just wasn't added. So they added this for the movie part of it. John realizes he'll need assistance and checks back with the sheriff. And when he arrives, he learns members of Bill Williamson's gang have attacked a local homestead and John travels with them to retake it. A semi-successful battle leads to a fleeing Williamson who John and the others are able to track down. However, Williamson's men have the higher ground and push John and the others into cover. While John's crew defends itself from some of the gang's members, Williamson is able to escape, and having seen the atrocities committed by the gang, the sheriff agrees to help John attack Fort Mercer. A few of the game's other missions are seen, including the Stranger mission involving Jenny, who's a young woman stranded in the desert, who refuses John's attempts to help her, although this has little bearing on the film's plot. And we also see Nigel West Dickens return using John as a plant and a crowd to help him sell his magic elixir by showcasing John's gun skills and advertising them as the result of the elixir. Lastly, we meet Seth, the grave robber in search of treasure and part-time associate of the Williams gang, who agrees to help John attack the fort if he helps him track down his former partner and the other half of his treasure map. With a team fully formed, John stows away in West Dickens' cart with a Gatling gun, similar to in the game. Once the cart is inside the fort, John emerges, opens fire, killing the majority, and the sheriff and deputies arrive to provide assistance and picking off the remaining gang members, while John pursues Williamson. So this is where it differs from the games. Williamson is here in the fort this time. Yes. After reaching the top of the fort, Bill is seen by John riding away into the night, and a to-be-continued and Red Dead Redemption prompt appears on the screen. This final scene does not appear in the game. Yeah, so obviously with that, this is more of like an interesting retelling of like a what-if, like, hey, check out Red Dead if you want the whole story. Red Dead Redemption The Man from Blackwater has a score of 6.7 of 10 on IMDb. Obviously not a heavily reviewed thing, was really meant to just promote the game as best it could. Sure. And I think did it well enough, you know, added in some points, changed those camera angles and just gave like an interesting story piece and shows even just so how interesting the story was to just be retold and have this kind of random machinima makeup of it. It's still got an okay score. And I was actually really surprised by it when I saw it, because when I read that it was just a retelling of the first act, I was like, okay, come on. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to see that. But I was surprised how well they were able to make this 29-minute short flow because the, the pieces of the puzzle really do fit together very, very well in terms of building a little bit of uh, animosity toward Williamson, You know, seeing him right away, and, and adding in various scenes from all over the map. So I was expecting them to solely be in the very first part of the map, but they utilize the entire game to really make everything seem larger, bigger, and give a little bit more of a different perspective to that first act. I agree. And I think it's just an interesting way overall to market your game, you know, cut it together, put some things together and be like, hey, if you really want to see what happens in this, play it. Now let's talk about the multiplayer. You know, it was, it was interesting. I'll say that I played it around some friends. It was kind of just fun to goof around, do some goofing, do some lassoing. So online multiplayer allows for up to 16 players to compete in the open world setting as well as various gameplay variants like deathmatch and capture the flag. Players can choose to compete against each other or play in cooperative matches against NPCs. Additionally, they're able to complete challenges similar to those in the main story and will receive special rewards upon leveling up such as new characters, weapons, mounts, titles, etc. So this also is the first game off of gta 4 to include this online multiplayer i don't know if you guys have played gta 4 but that online was just a hodgepodge mix of like i don't know let's get together and drive around and shoot stuff and that was kind of the first like soiree for rockstar to really go into like having their open world games online so you have red dead following that adding a bit more to it a little bit more to do and then we eventually get you know gta 5s ridiculously billion dollar idea online yeah uh, that's still happening yeah and like the multiplayer for red dead one it was fun but it wasn't so much fun that you necessarily wanted to continue playing that instead of the single player campaign in my opinion um i do like that they included the challenges and things like that i remember doing some of those with you there was still legendary animals that you could kill after getting so far in these hunting yep, challenges. Yep, yep, You would kind of load yourself into various areas of the game, one of them being like the cougar cabin. And it's just you and a friend basically standing on top of this cabin trying to shoot all these cougars flying at you, trying to kill you. That's That's right. So there were some fun things about this game playing i think the versus modes there were just maybe slightly better game modes available at the time i think i would have rather played like a death match in halo mm-hmm. rather than a death match in red dead redemption but to each their oh, own absolutely agree but i'm glad it was the stepping stone to getting that online multiplayer that online idea of having 16 people simultaneously playing in their own thing. And uh, granted, at that time, I believe it was mostly instanced. So like it was all like, quote unquote, private lobbies that you'd be in. Whereas more of like GTA 5 now has public and private, and it has all these instances going all at once. Now let's jump to the music and sound. Music was composed by Bill Elm and Woody Jackson, and inspired by mid-century Western. It's one of Rockstar's first games to receive an original score, and reviews of the soundtrack were positive with most feeling that it did a good job of helping the player connect with the Western setting. Now remember, in most of the GTAs, these were music of the times, like San Andreas, Vice City. It was music of that time they licensed. There was maybe some original scores, like we finished a mission and things like that, but this is the first to have a full score going with it. The music was recorded at Jackson's home studio and mastered at Capitol Studios. They used a mix of modern and classic Western instruments and even experimented with combining instruments themselves, such as playing a trumpet into a timpani drum. Because, you know, audiophiles love that stuff. I'll say it over and over again. They love to do weird things like that for no reason. Well, it's just, I mean, we've done that in photo and video. We're like, what does this do? I don't know. Just try (laughs) it out. See what happens. And sometimes it's like really cool. And you're like, okay, this is what we're doing from now on. The soundtrack used a wide range of instruments from nylon guitars and accordions to flutes and harmonicas, with the ultimate goal being to not create music for the game set in 1911, but to create a true western film type of atmosphere. So not going for the period correct 1911 music, but getting that spaghetti western like wow 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 feel to it. Oh yeah. In the Red Dead World. That was a beautiful rendition, by the way. Oh, thank you. And what's, that was me into a timpani drum. <laughs> what's cool about the soundtrack, too, is I really did feel a lot of times like it, it had that Spaghetti Western feel. You're riding around, and all of a sudden, you hear that gunshot off the rock ricochet yes. for no reason. And they took that out of Red Dead 2, and I missed it a lot. When I went back and played Red Dead 1 for a little bit after 2, I was like, wow. I think this soundtrack is so much better, and and to jump into like the sound, the voice recording was quality. It was so cool to hear like in and outside of buildings, and I know everyone hears that now, but back then, like having different symphonic positions of the music and using that was, was different. And then now that we're getting like these like the three D headsets, but it's basically your surround sound headsets, you'll know, be able to hear all those things in different areas, the different bullet ricochets, you know, the different sounds of each gun firing that you can kind of recognize what they were when you're dealing with it was, was not revolutionary, but it was really cool to have in this time period as we built into these games that now pretty much all 1,000% include that. So to wrap this up, the official soundtrack was released May 18th, 2010, and was published by Rockstar Games. It has a total of 19 tracks, totaling up 75 minutes and 18 seconds. So we've had quite a few released versions for this game. It was released, as we said before, in North America on May 18th, 2010. It was released globally on May 21st, 2010. It was released originally for Xbox 360 and PS3. The Game of the Year edition was released on October 11th, 2011, and included all DLC to date, and brought the gang hideout Solomon's Folly and Walton's gang outfit to Xbox 360, both being originally PlayStation 3 exclusive. The Game of the Year edition also added a new hardcore player difficulty. Xbox 360 version was made backwards compatible for Xbox One on July 8, 2016. It was made backwards compatible for Xbox One X on April 10, 2018, and this patch allowed the game to be played in native 4K resolution. The PlayStation 3 version was made playable on PS4 consoles via a PS Now subscription, and was first added to the service on December 6, 2016. This game has never been officially released on PC by Rockstar Games, although there is a little bit of controversy around that. There is. You know, you had a lot of fans really clamoring for it. They're like, we, this should be a PC release. This is what we need. And so we actually saw a fan-made version of it that brought it over, but unfortunately, the Papas and Mamas, over at Rockstar, you know, basically shut that down. Yeah. There was a fan who had gotten pretty far and basically just trying to make an updated modded port of this game for PC Mm -hmm. and take two interactive, hit him with a lawsuit. And he basically said, all right, look, I'm out. You win. Leave me alone. I have a life. I have a family. This is not that important to me. We just want this game. And it's sad. I think it would be cool to get this game on PC. It's been out for a really long time but from what I understand, the nature of porting to PC is a little bit more complicated than we want it to be sometimes. And sure, I know that Rockstar has particularly struggled with doing those ports and it usually takes them a little bit of time to do. So hopefully we get one. Hopefully we get a remastered Red Dead Redemption 1. I'd love to see that. You know, and that's a whole other topic and story to even cover later is just how some of these games granted this was ported over to these but there's so many older games that don't have ports don't have a way to play them except for their original media and it's frustrating again i'll jump off that soapbox for now as we wrap this episode up we'll talk about this later um so red dead redemption received universal acclaim from critics according to review aggregator metacritic and is ranked as its fifth best ps3 game and seventh best xbox 360 game red dead redemption received multiple nominations and awards from gaming publications winning several game of the year awards at the spike video game awards in 2010 the game received 10 nominations and went on to win four awards game of the year best song in a game which is far away best original score and best dlc obviously for that undead nightmare the game earned eight nominations at the 14th Annual Interactive Achievement Awards and won five, including Action Game of the Year, and outstanding character performance for Wythoff. And honestly, Red Dead as a game in and of itself has created such a legacy and brought Western gameplay, you know, the Old West, back into this very interesting story-driven, movie-esque Hollywood feel to it. You know, we've seen some games try and do it. It's mostly gunslinger games like Quick Draws and a couple other things that try and emulate that West. But this brought a grounded point to it. It did. It took the ideas of all of those, like Clint Eastwoods, all of those old, old movies that really personified it. It wasn't just like this, you know, glamorous thing, it was a rough world. And especially taking this 1911 approach where it is the turn of the industrial revolution. It is, you know, they talk about it a lot in there. In 1 and 2. We're not made for this world. Like we're like we are the old dogs of this. Like the world is leaving us behind. And I think that's such an amazing story to tell around all, you know, the other bits they add to it, but it's just so cool. And then find a rap The Undead Nightmare is one of the coolest DLCs. I think it's been voted as the best DLC to come out for most any game ever just because it's an entirely new game. You just have like somewhat of the or story element into it, but fully changed up. And like we said, we're going to go cover that over on our Patreon with an episode entirely dedicated to that. But for now, that is our coverage of Pew Pew Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> and as always, Derek, let the people know, why did we choose this game and what do you think? Well, we chose this game because the patrons voted for it, but I'm so glad that they did. I think we would have done it anyway at some point in the future, at least I hope, because I love this game so, so much. I really do. I remember seeing this for the very first time actually at your place. You had this game before me Mm -hmm. and you were just skinning animals like over and over again. It's kind (laughs) of creepy, actually, now that I think about it. But yeah, you know what? That's just that was my life back then. (laughs) No, it um, it just looked like such a cool game, usually a Western-style game. I would have had no interest in that. GTA 4, I loved. I loved the DLC for GTA 4. They did mm-hmm. a similar thing like Undead Nightmare where they had The Lost and the Damned. They had uh, The Ballad of Gay Tony. Yep. And so they had these one-offs as well. And I miss Rockstar doing that so bad because they really were so good. And I don't know what changed. I think it's uh, maybe a little ka change. I would say that. I think it's, I think it's the change jingling around the pocket because they have added some of that stuff to GTA Online, but it's very forced missions that are just like these weird cutscenes. They have, I, granted, they have added some cool stuff into it, but it feels so geared towards just multiplayer stuff and not really having a cool story behind it. Red Dead Redemption ties so many cool things together. It's like, you can be a bounty hunter. You could be a bandit. You can be a good guy. You could be a bad guy. And it actually gives you feedback on that. There's not a lot of games that give you that feedback, especially when we're talking about going from Grand Theft Auto to Red Dead Redemption. Like, in Grand Theft Auto, you're pretty much the bad guy. Like, yeah, you're the hero, but you're straight up out there robbing people, stealing cars, you know, Mm -hmm. choosing violence for the most part. And if you're not playing the game that way, I'm very, very surprised. Not only was it able to take like a Grand Theft Auto type of game, make it a Western, it also just took weird collector elements that made it so much fun. It was cool to ride around and try and get all the different animals, you know, shoot three deer, catch three armadillo. Go and kill grizzly bears with knives. Kill a cougar with a knife. You know, these little challenges that they threw in there for you that also rewarded you in-game. Very similar to what they did in Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm glad that that stuck around. But when that came out, you could combine the great story elements along with all those other factors. Hey, man, 10 out of 10, baby. This is, this is an official score. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Hold on, I'm tabulating real quick. This is going into the the annals of history. The annals is, of the FTF history. This is the ten out of ten, baby. This is the first. You've heard your first. The first hashtag ten out of ten. Didn't need the hashtag, but we're adding it because that's what we do here. Make a shirt of that. Me, I, I don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> me, sure. Anyway, I will allow that because those numbers just equal one. One is a great number when you put that fraction over itself. <laughs> We're going with that. Anyway, if I had to talk about this a bit, what Derek said is true. They put so much care and effort into this, and we see so much of that in Red Dead 2, just the tiny, tiny, tiny baby nuances of, like, if you leave a fish out long enough on your rod, it actually just dies when you're just, like, sitting there idle. Like, weird, little, tiny things that are added into the game that make it so interesting that people are still discovering today. That's how I felt with Red Dead back then. And that's how it felt to like, it was the next gen. That was one of the games that really felt like next gen. And it was just so much fun to play. The story was really cool to have. Again, it was more gameplay than story in that one for me. I got the idea of it, but all it was was hunting down these guys. That was your general story. There was stuff in between characters you'd meet, very similar to like the GTA random events. You'd meet those characters. Some would be quirky and weird or based on folklore. Some would be kind of a serious point to play on. And they did that so well, and it changed so much for gaming at that time. And you talk to anyone who's played some games, even people who are casual, like they know the name. Remember the name from that one song. That's, that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> and, uh, and so... <laughs> Same era the, as well. Very Exactly. So that's basically what they were writing it about. And so it's just so cool. So if I had to give it a rating... I would give it pew pew out of milady lady tipping my hat, but not fedora style. I'm talking like nice, like cowboy hat or sombrero style, like Michika, something like that, um, you know, along those realms of it. I'd start with that. Add in armadillos and a town named it. Really cool animals. Love to see it. Subtract out. I live in the Netherlands. It was a really cool place. Dutch is an asshole. Those don't equal out to one thing. So that's different. And then wrap all that up in like a delicious bear burger out of 1911 out of 10. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Listen, I have to go deeper some of these. Listen, we have to make sure that people know what the true rating is. The fraction there is insert like there's no way I'm ever going to beat that. Just on the last end alone. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Research for this episode was done by Derek Baker and Alex Kendall. The music for this episode was recorded, composed, written by our friend Evan Barr. And as always, if you want to support us, give us a shout out, share it with your friend. But if you want to support us with a little Dutch ka-ching, ka-ching as Rockstar would say it, um, that's over at our Patreon, where we've actually added a lot of really cool content coming up, whether it be you know some of the posters, shirts, uh, our new D&D campaign, our Minecraft server, and episodes like this, like with the Undead Nightmare that we're going to go ahead and cover and have an expansion on for you as well. And let's go ahead and thank those people today, starting with Tactics, Sky the Bear, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Trace, Mega, Nick Hyman, Richard Scanlon, McChief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, William Krull, Mr. Toot, and Kevin Benson. So thank you all so much for the support. And like I said, if you haven't, if you just want to check it out, it's over at patreon.com slash finish the fight. That's where you can get some more of the details in there. And we're constantly updating that and getting feedback from our patrons, even non-patrons. who are saying, I'd love to see something like this or, you know, something like that doesn't work. It always helps us out, you know, when we get that feedback. If you haven't yet, give us a follow on Instagram. We're also on Twitter and join our Discord. It's a lot of fun. It's free to join. It's definitely where Alex and I hang out the most. And we're just out there having a good time. Some pew pew. Some pew pew indeed. And then be sure to check out our store over at Etsy.com slash finish the fight store, as well as some of our merch links below in whatever episode description you're looking at. And be sure to catch us over at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That is S-O-U-R-M-A-N-70. And Derek over at twitch.tv slash the baker man247, the baker man247. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review. It helps us out a lot. We love the feedback. We'd love to see it in the review form or in the Discord form. Exactly. So let us know. What did you think of Red Dead Redemption? Have you played the first one? Or are you just a second one? You should go with the number two? I understand some people like that. But have you played this one or have you at least known the story leading up to Dutch's Gang? And so with that... I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And as always, this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.